Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. Hey, welcome to part two of Me Versus Me. If it's your first time for this series or your first time to join us at all, thanks so much for doing that. I want to give you a little heads up as we get into this. This series has some content that can be a little confusing, and I just want you to know on the end of this today, if you have more questions and answers, that is not a bad thing. And if you find yourself confused, that is my fault and not your fault, okay? But I'll tell you something that is not confusing. Here's something that all of us have in common. There's been some point for each of us where we've had someone, probably somebody close to us, look at us and ask us this question. What's wrong with you? And sometimes they say it with a lot of sass. Sometimes they say it with a lot of passion, don't they? Like, what's wrong with you? And you know what happens. I I know what happens for me. It makes me mad when somebody asks me that question. And part of the reason it makes me mad is because I know something's wrong with me, but I don't know what exactly is wrong with me, and I sure don't want to admit there's anything wrong with me. Can you relate? If you're like me, you have spent a lot of time trying to solve you and figure out what it is that really is wrong with you. And I I know that we can point to things and say, well, I'm mad because, or I'm upset because, or I'm disappointed because. But the reality is it's not really what's wrong with us. We know deep down there's some stuff going on inside of us. We just can't pinpoint it. But what they did or what they said or what happened, it shouldn't have elicited the response and the emotion that it did out of us. It's why they ask, well, what's wrong with you? And we're just not sure what it is, but like me, you probably have tried to figure that out. You probably have tried to solve you. But what makes it challenging is this. It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what's causing the problem. And a lot of us just don't know what's at the root of our problems. We don't know why we can't change, why we can't fix things, why we can't solve ourselves, why we can't become the people that we want to be. In other words, we can't always explain why we continue to be our own worst enemy. But Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, keep that in mind, that Paul said he knew what your problem was, he said he knew what my problem was, and he said he had the solution for it. Now, before you go, you know, how in the world can a guy 2,000 years ago know anything about me? I'm with you, but I'm telling you, maybe Paul had some insight that would help us. Because listen, and we looked at this last week, listen to how Paul described his problem. See if this sounds familiar. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Okay, it sounds like he's been watching us. But what I hate, I do. That's familiar too. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree, he says, that the law is good. This is Paul's way of saying, okay, there's some things that I want to do, and I know they're good for me, and I still can't do them. There's some things I want to change about me, and I know what's best for me, and I still can't do it. What's the deal? What's wrong with me? Now, it doesn't matter if you believe in the Bible, if you believe in God, we can all agree on this, can't we? We have all been here. We've all looked in the mirror. We've all laid our head on our pillow at night. We've all driven away from someplace and thought to ourselves, oh my gosh, I did it again. What's wrong with me? And Paul says, well, I think I've got the answer. Here was the answer from his perspective to what was wrong with him, at least. He says, as it is, it's no longer myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. He goes on, he says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. Now he's not saying there's nothing good in him, there's nothing good in you and me. 
He's saying there's nothing good in the sinful nature inside of us. So Paul, and we're going to get into this in a minute. We talked about this last week. Paul believed that we have a broken sin nature inside of us, and it's creating these problems within us. It's, it's creating this me versus me battle of I want to do good, but no, I don't. Why, why won't I follow through on things I know are in my best interest? So he continues on describing his problem. He says, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the, uh, do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. In other words, I know what I should do. I just can't follow through. Sound familiar to anybody? Any of us have stories we could tell about that? Of course we do. And let's be honest. The reason why we can't follow through on what we know we should do is not because we need more information, is it? We've got all the information we need. We've been trying to figure out what the problem is. And Paul pinpoints it, at least from his perspective. And he says, I'll tell you what I think the problem is. The problem is there is something inside of you that's broken. There is a sin nature in you, and it is not supposed to be there. It is not the way God created you to be. But according to Paul's view of the world, when sin entered the world, he brought with it sorrow, suffering, sickness, disease, and death. The sin wrecked and broke everything, including you and me. And so now there is a nature inside of us that desires things that are actually against us, a nature inside of us that will lead us to self-sabotage if we're not careful. And that sin nature can wreck everything. This is why Paul writes this next sentence describing himself. He says, what a wretched man I am. Not wretched because I couldn't resist another piece of pie because I, I couldn't resist the bowl of banana pudding. No, 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 it's bigger than that. Paul's going, now that I see this brokenness inside of me, now that I see this sin nature going on in me, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm such a wretched man. I'm, I'm such, and this is a term that he used last week, I'm such an ungodly person. Not ungodly because he's the worst person or you're the worst person or I'm the worst person on the planet. Paul says we're ungodly simply because we're not like God. He's perfect, we're not perfect. And because of that, because we have this broken sin nature in us, it leaves us ungodly. You're ungodly, so am I, but we're in good company. We're all in the same boat here. But Paul's going, I know how wretched I am. And it's not for the little things. I know how wretched I am because in spite of the fact, and maybe you can relate to this, in spite of the fact that I do a pretty good job monitoring my behavior, filtering my words, modifying what I do depending on who I'm around, in spite of the fact that I try to control my behavior pretty well, I know what's going on inside of me. You know what's going on inside of you. Paul's going, I know the thoughts that I think. I know the desires that I have. I know that if just left to myself, what I would do if there were no consequences on my own. So Paul says, I see what's happening inside of me. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks a question. It's a great question. He says, who will rescue me? Now, I pointed this out last week. He didn't say what, because most of us ask the question, well, what's going to rescue me? And we try another book. We try some more therapy. We try some more help. We try some more counseling. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We try another purchase. We try to you know, go on another trip. We try to change locations. We try to change spouses. We try to change significant partners. We try, we try, we try. We change everything we can change. We're asking always, well, what's going to rescue me? We think it's the next thing that's going to fix us. Paul goes, nope, it's a dead end. I'm going to ask a different question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he gives us his answer. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that's where we left off last week. And I just want to summarize Paul's point. If I could 
boil it down into a couple sentences. Here's what Paul believed. He believed I was born controlled by sin. Jesus can free me from the power of sin. That's it. I was born controlled by sin, but Jesus can free me from the power of sin. So the solution to the brokenness inside of me, the solution to the battle that's constantly going on, the solution to why I can't fix me, change me, or solve me is not a what, it's a who. Now, what I want to do today as we pick up here in part two is I want to spend the next few minutes trying to explain to you as best I can how this who, Jesus, how this who connects with what you do and how this who connects with what I do in a very, very practical way. So just a little bit earlier in Paul's letter, one chapter earlier in Romans chapter six, here's what Paul wrote about this. He says, we are those, now he's talking to followers of Jesus. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? To which I think any of us would go, if Paul were here, well, I don't know exactly what you mean by that first part, but I can answer your question. You just follow me around for a little while. I'll show you how we can live in sin. It's pretty easy, actually. I do it every day. But that wasn't Paul's point. Paul would go, no, no, no. I'm not asking how you do it. I know you do it. He's saying, why would you do it? Since you have died to sin, well, Paul don't even know what that means. Paul says, okay, I'll explain it. But since you have died to sin, why would you keep, keep living in sin? Why would you keep following sin along? And then he begins to unpack for us what he means by this. He says, for we know that our old self, or another way to say that is we know that our old nature, Now we may not necessarily know this. This may be new information for us, but this is how Paul viewed things. Paul is implying not only that we have an old nature or sinful nature, but also that those of us who follow Jesus have a new nature. Can't have an old without a new, right? So Paul's going, okay, we're very familiar with the sinful nature in us, that old self, that old nature. But now that we're following Jesus, those of us who are, he says, you have a new nature. You got to pay attention to what's going on in your new nature. He continues, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, referring to Jesus, which again is so confusing. It's like, no, 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 I wasn't there. I wasn't crucified. What are you talking about? You know that, Paul. But Paul's not talking literally, obviously, but he's talking in terms of what actually happened that day. So let me just hit pause here for just a second. Here's what Paul is telling us. That for you and for me and for Paul and for everyone else who has lived, our sin natures in us have run up a huge tab that we can't repay. They've run up a huge debt between us and God. Our sins created such a debt that we can never fully repay it. And so God looked down and saw that we had a tab, that we had a debt we could not pay, that there was a penalty that we could not meet. And so he came down in the form of Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, yeah, you didn't die with him, but when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin nature, he took your tab, he took your penalty, he took your debt, and he took, carried that with him right to the cross. And when he was crucified, it was as if your debt was being paid. When he was crucified, he wasn't paying his debt. He was perfect. He had no debt. He had no tab. He was taking care of your tab, your penalty. When Jesus was crucified, in a sense, you were crucified with him in the sense that God stamped paid in full on your tab. He transferred money into your account, and he covered your debt. Now, you may, if you've been around church, you've heard about this. It's called the forgiveness of God, freely offered to all of us. And most of us think it stops right there. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pray a prayer and, you know, develop a relationship with God so I can be forgiven of all my sins, and then I just go on and wait until I die. 
But this is where Paul believed differently than us. Paul says, absolutely, your old nature, all the consequences, all the penalty of your sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness has been extended and offered to all of us. But that's not the only reason Jesus died. He goes on, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him for another reason. So that the body, he's talking about your body and my body, okay, ruled by sin, we're going to come back to that idea in a minute, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And then he says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul goes, listen, you think Jesus dying on the cross was just about blanket forgiveness for you. No, 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 it's much bigger than that. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay the penalty for your sins. He freed you from the power of sin. See, Paul's point, and you may agree or disagree, but Paul's perspective was this, that that sin nature inside of you and me, the thing that drives us to do what we don't want to do, the thing that causes us to keep doing the stuff that we say over and over, I'm not going to do it, the thing that, you know, we say, I'm never going to do that again, we do it, I'm not going to do that, and I do it again, and then we disappoint people, we've all been there. Paul would say that sin nature that's driving all that in you and me, no human is strong enough to tame it. No human is uh, disciplined enough to control it. That sin nature in you and me, it has control over us. It is our master, that we are ruled by sin. Now, none of us want to admit that, but you know there are some things you've wanted to stop doing, start doing, or change, and in spite of your best efforts, you've never been able to do it. Paul would say, there's some evidence for you that you are living in a body that is ruled by sin, but it does not have to be that way because when Jesus died on the cross, he freed you. He freed you, not just so you'd be forgiven, but he freed you from the power of your sin nature. He freed you from being ruled or controlled by sin anymore. The death and the resurrection of Jesus means he gained all power over sin. So if you have a relationship with him, you now have all power over sin as well. One of the ways you can think of it is this, that everything Jesus accomplished on the cross has been or can be, if you haven't become a follower of Jesus yet, can be applied to you. In other words, what was true of Jesus is true of you when you begin to follow him. When you accept God's offer of a relationship with him, when you put your trust in what Jesus did for you in his death and resurrection, everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of you. Your relationship with God, what's now like Jesus' relationship, your power over sin, what's broken just like Jesus has power over sin, you have the same. Paul's not done. He goes on. He says the death he died, he's talking about Jesus, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Now, in other words, Jesus only had to die one time for the sins of all of us. It's never going to have to be done again because it was the one perfect sacrifice that covered all the debt. It was the one perfect payment that covered all the debt. But he says it's once, and notice this, for all, which means if you think that you are beyond God's forgiveness, well, then you think you're beyond all. You're not beyond all. This includes you. If you think God would never forgive me because, or I don't know that I could ever change because, nope, this includes you. Paul says, you need to understand this happened in the past, but the death that Jesus died, he died for all of us. People who lived before Jesus, people who were living when Jesus was living, and people who are living after Jesus left this earth. 
He did it for all of us, which means he knew all the sins you were going to commit. Think about this. He knew every sin you were going to commit, including the ones you haven't committed yet, but I'm sure you'll figure out a way to do it. And he thought you were worth dying for anyway. So he says the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, now this is present because Paul knew the tomb was empty. He says Jesus is still alive. So the life he lives now, he lives to God, which is just his way of saying he is in perfect oneness. There is a perfect relationship between God and Jesus. And then he's about to make an extraordinary point. I don't want you to miss out. He says, in the same way, you should count or consider yourselves dead to sin. If you're following Jesus, you're dead to sin because what's true of Jesus is true of you. But you should also consider or count yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, the right standing that Jesus demonstrated with God is the right standing that you have with God as well. And then Paul makes a statement that is so impactful. If we could just wrap our minds around this, it might change everything in terms of how we live and behave and think. Here's what he says in verse 14. For sin, he's talking to those of us who follow Jesus now. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, don't miss this. Once you become a follower of Jesus, what's true of Jesus is true of you, which means sin's not your master anymore. You have a different master, a better master, a master who has your best interest at heart, a master who loves you deeply, a master who actually has just said, come on, I'm going to adopt you and make you part of my family. Sin's not your master anymore. Sin can whisper. Sin can call. Sin can tempt. Sin can stir up all those emotions in you. Sin can try to lead you down wrong roads again but it's not your master. You don't have to listen to sin anymore. You now have a choice. Which leads to the question, well, why in the world do those of us who follow Jesus keep sinning? I'll tell you why. Because it's really hard to break old habits and live a new way. Isn't that true? When you've been listening to one master for so long, when you're used to one way of life for so long, it's really hard to break old habits and live a new way. Now, this is not a perfect illustration, but I think maybe this will help connect all the dots for what we're talking about today. I want you to think of this like international adoption. Maybe some of you know people who've adopted children internationally. I've got some friends who have done that. It is an extraordinary thing. And here's what I find remarkable about international adoption. Whenever those uh, parents go to adopt a child, sometimes it's a baby, sometimes it's an older child, but almost always that child is in orphanage. And that child is living under several layers of authority. So that child, whatever orphanage they're in, they're under the authority of the workers in that orphanage. They're under the authority of the organization of that orphanage. They're under the authority of the city that that or orphanage is in, of the state, and then ultimately of the nation. So they have very little say in their life. They are under levels of authority, layers of authority that tell them when to wake up, when to go to bed, when to eat, how much they get to eat, to tell them when they're going to go to school, how long they're going to go to school, what they're going to learn. They're under layers of authority who control almost their entire lives. And they just do whatever they're told. And it becomes a way of life. It is normal to them. They don't know anything different. And then, from another country usually, along comes a family. And that family chooses that orphan. And with a stroke of a pen, 
actually with a lot of strokes of a pen and a lot of money, but we'll simplify it. With the stroke of a pen, that orphan goes from no family to new family, from no identity in many cases to a new identity, from no family name to a new family name, from, in some cases, not being loved to being in a family where they are unconditionally loved. And it all happens in a moment. In a moment, they go from being under the authority of the orphanage workers, the orphanage, the city, the state, the nation, to now they are under the authority of this new family, and it changes everything. But does that immediately change their behaviors? No, especially the older the child is that's adopted, the longer it takes them to break their previous habits. And so they're brought back here to the States or wherever it is they're adopted to. And even though they've got new love, new family, new home, new freedom, in most cases they've gone from being poor to being rich by international standards. So they have new wealth in spite of the fact that they have access to all of that. These children take, in some cases, months and even years to adjust and adapt to living under their new authority and living with their new identity because all they've known is the old and the old keeps calling and they keep answering and the old keeps calling and they keep answering even though they don't have to keep answering anymore. It's a new day. They're part of a new family. They've got a new name. Everything has changed. Well, this is what it's like for those of us who follow Jesus. When you begin to follow Jesus, no longer does sin have authority under you, over you, excuse me. You have a new master, if you will. And he is your father in heaven who loves you and wants what's best for you. And he gives you a new family, a new name, a new identity. You are loved unconditionally as a son or a daughter of God. Sin is not your master anymore. You don't live under the law. You live under grace now. But does it take a while to get used to that? Absolutely. And is it easy to go back to the old way of living when whenever sin called, we answered? Yep, sure does. And for many of us, that has been our struggle. We are living in a freedom that we don't fully understand and we don't fully understand how to live in. We're still living as if we're under an old master. And if that sin, as if that sin nature has total control over us. But it's not true. You are forgiven. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are forgiven. Now think about this. You're forgiven of everything. And you're set free to be a part of God's family. Now, I realize up to this point, that may be new information, but it's not really practical. And the reason I say it's not practical is some of you may be sitting there going, okay, well, that's great. Well, now that I know that, what do I do, though? Because I keep falling back in the same ruts and the same habits. I keep struggling with the same things. I can't change. I can't solve me. I can't fix me. What do I do? So for the next two weeks, we're going to get very, very practical. These next two weeks are going to be my favorite two weeks of the series because we're going to talk about what you and I can do to live and act and think differently, to begin to adjust to being a part of and living in this new family with this new freedom that God provides for us. But Here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. When sin starts calling, when sin starts whispering, when sin starts tempting, when sin starts stirring that emotion up inside of you, 
and you find yourself starting to go back to those old habits, would you just hit pause before you say it again, before you respond that way again, before you gossip again, before you lose your temper again, before you look at that again? Would you just hit pause and remind yourself of something? If you're a follower of Jesus, remind yourself, the sin's not my master. I'm under God's grace. This is all you got to do. Just hit pause and go, wait a minute. I'm about to do this, and I know I shouldn't, and I've said I wouldn't, but I'm going to because I really want to. Wait a minute. Before I do it, I just want to remind myself, sin's not my master. I don't have to. I'm under God's grace. So I get to choose what I do. And then from that point on, you decide what you want to do. I'm telling you, there is a Roman cross in an empty tomb that proves sin doesn't control you. You can live free. You do not have to be your own worst enemy. You do not have to continue to live in this battle of me versus me. It's possible to live differently because of what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me. Now, as we wrap up, for some of you, you have never accepted this invitation that your Heavenly Father gives you. Now, think about this. It's kind of like international adoption. Just like a, a family goes and spends thousands and thousands of dollars and goes through all the paperwork and all the red tape in order to adopt a child to get to that point where they can sign the paper and make it official. Your heavenly father has done everything to make it possible for you to be part of his family. The whole reason Jesus came and died and rose again was to invite you to be forgiven and free, to invite you to be a part of his family. So he did all the work. He paid all the price. And he has slid a paper across to you and said, okay, will you sign? All you got to do is sign because you're old enough to choose for yourself. But if you sign, I'm adopting you. If you sign, you're part of my family. If you sign, you get forgiveness and you get freedom. If you sign, you have a new name, a new identity, a new way of life. If you sign, it's all yours. And just like the stroke of a pen, makes that child a part of that family. A simple act of trust on your part makes you a part of God's family. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. I'm going to trust you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I'm going to admit that I need you. So Jesus, I give you my life. So as we close today, if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that. Think about it. Your Heavenly Father loves you so much, He did everything He could do, all the way up to the point of the signature. All you have to do is sign today. And forgiveness and freedom are yours forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. It is astounding to us that even after we've sinned and rebelled against you and offended you and hurt the people that you've created that you love so much that you'd still to go to such great lengths. You still pay such a high price so we could be a part of your family, so we could be in right standing with you. Thank you for that. And for those of you who've never done that, right now, just tell God, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I need you to free me from the things in me I can't fix. That simple act of trust on your part is all it takes to be adopted into his family. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, as we, the rest of us continue to pray, I want you to grab your phone, and if you will, I want you to text the word, follow Jesus, all one word, to 555-888. 
And by doing that and letting us know you prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you, and we're going to make sure to get you connected with some resources that will help you figure out your next step. We are so excited for you. Father, thanks for those who took that step today. Uh, While we're doing this digitally, we still celebrate. We're so, so excited that they're experiencing a little bit of the freedom and the forgiveness that we have experienced before. And for all of us who are going, okay, this is exactly what I need. I just don't know how to live it out. This is exactly what I need, but I just, I don't know practically what this means. Just help us to remember that sin's not our master, that we live under your grace, which is amazing because when we get it wrong, there's grace. But you'll help us get it right if we'll just lean into you. So as we go throughout the remainder of this week in this series, show us what it looks like practically to do that. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We're so grateful that what's true of you is true of any of us who follow you, that you bring us into right standing with God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.